Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. This is Premier Christian Radio. This week, we're thinking about saying sorry. We all need to apologise at times because we're broken people under construction. We mess things up. We need to say sorry. But as Elton John famously sang, sometimes it seems sorry seems to be the hardest word. And just in the last few weeks, we have watched examples of people who seem to have been heartless in the face of their terrible crimes. Hashim Abidi, sentenced to 55 years in prison for the murder of 22 people in 2017 at the Ariana Grande concert. And then those three young men who laughed as they were escorted from the court, Henry Long, uh, Jesse Cole and Albert Bowes, who killed PC Andrew Harper, that 28-year-old newlywed. And we were all shocked as they, handcuffed, emerged from the court, cheering and laughing, sneering arrogantly at the photographers. Extreme examples, I know, but really heart-rending examples of an inability to own up, to face your crimes, to apologise, to say sorry. You may remember the fuss. Parliament was debating airstrikes and there was quite a row about a comment that the then Prime Minister at the time had allegedly made, suggesting that anyone who had opposed the motion to bomb was a terrorist sympathiser. Describing the remark as a desperate and contemptible slur, members of the opposition repeatedly demanded an apology during the debate. I was irritated. All right, I was actually incensed. And while still in that smouldering state, I rather unwisely said so on Facebook. Sometimes I wish that there was something in the Bible to warn against hasty, hot-headed use of social media. Strayest thou not to make a posting while frustrated, but go forth and post a photo of your breakfast instead. Proverbs 94 verse 2. Don't look it up. I made that up. My sarcasm-tinged online comment stated that a simple apology would have been a good idea and an expression of true statesmanship. A few retorts and private messages later, some from friends who happened to be politicians, I realised that my own tone had been somewhat harsh and acerbic. The point of my talking about it here is not to discuss that historic Prime Minister's alleged remark. The issue for me really was that my tone was that of one who had rushed to judge without knowing the facts. It would have been good to take the opportunity to call for prayer for all who give themselves to public service, whatever their party politics or opinion on that particular issue. And I did quickly delete the post and sent a personal message to some of my politician friends who, along with many others in Parliament, had lost sleep that week over making such difficult decisions. But then the reality hit me. In the tiny goldfish bowl world that I inhabit as a Christian leader, I was guilty of the very thing that I'd rushed to condemn another for, a hurried, thoughtless aside. And that led to an uncomfortable realisation. I needed to go to Facebook and Twitter and apologise, say sorry for my error. There's not much health in demanding that others do that which we ourselves are unwilling to do. I share this not to appear noble, but quite the opposite. In too swiftly pointing the finger, I'd stumbled into bruising clumsiness. 
As Christians, we're free to disagree, and we should do when principle is at stake, but we should disagree agreeably. The response to my online contrition was most gracious, which was both heartening and awkward. It's difficult to be affirmed for being a clod, even when you're an apologetic clod. But the humbling experience taught me that we humans are very gifted at seeing the faults of others, while either being blissfully unaware of our own, or just deciding to ignore them anyway. Jesus exposed this rather absurd aspect of the human condition with a farcical word picture involving people painstakingly seeking to remove a speck from somebody else's eye while clambering around with an enormous plank sticking out of their own heads. Despite such a blistering expose of their own ridiculous condition, it seems that few of the Pharisees actually grasped what he was saying or apologised for their actions and changed their hypocritical ways. As I said earlier, Elton John was onto something when he famously declared that sorry seemed to be the hardest word. Some of us are not only oblivious to the damage that we cause, but seem unwilling to correct it when we discover that we've been hurtful. And the advice churned out by the ancient weepy flick love story is most unhelpful in this regard. The slogan that accompanied the tragic movie, which left me in tears at the end as a solitary male in a cinema full of very stoic females, declared that love means never having to say that you're sorry, which, sorry, that's just ridiculous. None of us get it right all the time. Not me, not you, not prime ministers, past, present or future. Not anyone, save one, Jesus. In the hectic busyness of life and the ready availability that we all have to make our voices heard in a way that is unprecedented in history, let's watch our words, spoken or written, and when we do lash things up, as we will, let's quickly reach for the word that can bring healing and grace to all who hear it uttered, if it's offered with sincerity. Sorry. Apologising, it's so important when we lash things up, and I frequently do. Let's own up, let's try and make things right. But sometimes saying sorry can be hollow and can mean nothing. Boys will be boys, as they say, and I recall one occasion when my grandsons were busily illustrating that truth. Alex had a toy that he didn't want to share. And Stanley felt that this was a violation of the Christian ethic of selflessness, so he gave his younger brother a slap. Alex didn't feel able at this stage of his spiritual maturity to turn the other cheek, so he gave his brother a slap in response. Much yelling ensued until our son-in-law Ben intervened, diffused the escalating conflict and then made the demand that parents always make when siblings get into a fuss. Now, guys... Say sorry to each other. Silence. Reluctance. Much shrugging of junior shoulders. Both waited, hesitating, because going first with the apology would be tantamount to admitting a greater guilt. And that wasn't going to happen. Finally, the deadlock was broken. Stanley, his face wooden, eyes down on the carpet, mumbled, Sorry. Alex responded with a reciprocal mumble. Neither one looked at the other, and although they did as they were told, this much was obvious. If there was such a thing as an instrument to measure heartfelt sincerity, they would have both registered low on the scale. What was real was their desire to end the telling-off session, and the mouthing of sorry did just that. 
And it's not just children who do this. Some of us adults have honed this to a fine art. Saying sorry is a way to end the awkwardness of potential offence. But A.A. Gill laments, the British sorry is a prophylactic word. It protects the user and the recipient from the potentially explosive consequences of the truth. Ouch. I recently watched a documentary where a daughter confronted her father about years of horrendous physical abuse that he'd inflicted upon her mother. The abusive father looked shamed. He shifted around uncomfortably in his seat and admitted that he felt bad. But then he said, that was then, but this is now. Let's move on. What he didn't think of saying was, sorry. She waited and waited, allowing the awful silence to hang between them, desperate for him to just apologise. As far as I know, she's still waiting. Earlier, I mentioned that phrase from Love Story. Love means never having to say you're sorry. And I said, that's ridiculous, and it is. But I'm wondering if, for some, sorry isn't hard to say, and it's not because love means that we don't have to say it. Rather, we can squander the use of the word sorry and discovers that its currency is now next to worthless. Surely we can devalue the currency of apology if we use it thoughtlessly and cheaply. Apparently, the English are especially guilty of apology misuse. Our readiness to apologise for things we haven't done is almost comical, and yet tempered by our unwillingness to apologise for things that we have done. And sometimes sorry is not about warding off conflict, but just a vanilla expression of politeness, something to make our lives easier. Being seen to be humble and being quick to apologise can be an expression of that. It's also a great way to look good. In wanting to appear servant-like, we consider that girding our loins with a towel is a tad bit extreme, and so an easier strategy is to live on the edge of apology. In a 2010 study, young Canadians were asked about their saying sorry moments. Many people aged 18 to 25 were more interested in impressing others and in advancing through making personal connections in their career and everyday life, and therefore are more open to saying sorry to keep those relationships positive. Even more alarmingly, some even use sorry as a device for repeating their bruising behaviour. The British government has been on a campaign to highlight the evils of domestic abuse, particularly during COVID. They've been trying to discuss the disturbingly high number of people who resort to violence in their closest relationships. No doubt the abuser often says sorry after the punching. But then the pattern continues. Sorry has changed nothing. I've met people who seem to spend their lives hurting others and then rushing to emotional apologetic speeches. They consistently bruise with their thoughtless words, hurt with their blundering decisions, but are very quick to utter the words sorry. But an apology is not a sticking plaster that we can hastily slap on to heal a deep wound, especially when a destructive pattern of behaviour continues. And sometimes the word sorry can actually be harmful in church circles. I recently endured an awkward prayer gathering where the topic for the evening had been forgiveness, and the preacher suggested that we end the evening by approaching anyone who had offended us and telling them that we had released them from our anger and that we were sorry for our lingering bitterness. 
the saddest sight was a line of people that had formed around one fairly well-known Christian leader who had obviously managed to upset quite a few people in his time. I thought that perhaps we should have installed one of those take-a-number contraptions that are found in supermarkets. Yes, I'm very glad that you've got that off your chest, but there are a lot of people waiting to confront me, so number 47, please. The practice of informing people that we've been upset with them, sometimes over a period of many years, is dubious at best. These so-called confessions can be a sneaky way of hurting people while all of the time feeling pious. I've had a few people tell me how liberated they felt after getting their hatred for me off their chest, and I've been left feeling fairly devastated as a result. Not everything has to be sorted out or talked through. Sometimes we just need to keep our irritation and even our sense of offence to ourselves, deal with it in our relationship with God and move on. A big revelatory confession is not always needed. Not everything requires a big sorting out. But sorry, it's also often just the first step on a meaningful journey. That's why the Bible celebrates godly sorrow. There's a sorrow that we can feel just because we've been caught or we're embarrassed about our failure or grieved because of the consequences of our actions. But true sorrow is but a stepping stone to real change. It might involve weeping, but when the tears are dried, there's a change of behaviour. Saul, King Saul, wept bitterly over his murderous treatment of David, but all too soon his abusive behaviour returned. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 26. Perhaps, even as you listen, you're in a relationship where a punch is usually followed up with a tearful apology, and you may even have been told that it's your Christian duty to forgive, therefore you have to put up with this abusive lifestyle. But that's just another form of emotional blackmail and manipulation. Sorry can be a hollow word and a control word too. Perhaps we'd do well to learn from the formal Japanese notion of suneo, or selfless surrender. There, in making an apology, Japanese culture demands that the penitent person fully surrenders to the perception of the person that they have wronged and places themselves at their mercy. Costly indeed. Let's view the word sorry as a valuable, genuine concession that shouldn't be tossed around and cheapened. Let's not flash it in an attempt to validate our credentials in humility. And whatever we do, let's never use sorry in a way that creates more sorrow. See you next time. Lucas on Life.